Hey, it is such a joy to be here. Uh, what a cool place and what a great people. Um, it feels like home just from the early prayer time we had and to be with everybody. And it really is family because half the band was with us all summer in Indonesia carrying the work of God, uh, praying and interceding, and I've seen so many others here that were uh, part of uh, our work, and when I say our, I mean the Antioch family and, and uh, being a part of what the body of Christ was doing in Indonesia, but specifically, I just want to just take a, just a moment talking about family. Uh, Mark and Crystal uh, have been with us for years and years and years, as well as um, Craig and Jackie Blankenship, as well as many others. My niece, Stephanie Cybers, been with me from birth since she was born. Uh, so many others I could mention, Johanna, etc. Um, but I want to say this about those two couples is that um, you know, you have what I call high conscience people and low conscience people. Now, low conscience people live with a little more laid back look at life. They're a little more at rest. They sleep a little better. They're a little more peaceful. High conscience people live a little wound up, a little, little too tight at times. Uh, but here's what I say about high conscience people. High conscience people you can trust with your life because they want to be right with Jesus. They want to be right with you. They want to be right. They want to honor everything that God has for them no matter what. And so do low conscience people, usually. All right, so we all swing somewhere on the pendulum on a given day and a given topic. But I, I just want to commend to you the leaders that you have here. You have people that you can trust. They have been so committed to loving Jesus, and that is not a platitude. That is a reality for their personal lives. No matter what, going the low road, humbling themselves. Uh, if there was trouble, confessing sin openly and boldly. I mean, these are people that you can trust, and you guys are in an incredible place uh, as a people because you have incredible leaders. And uh, again, I say that even if they weren't leading this church, I would say that in a private conversation because that's what I've experienced face-to-face. -face. And um, so thank you. Thank you, Mark and the team for walking with Jesus. And speaking of family, I wanted to throw up a picture of my crew, my family. Uh, that is our gang. We were, that's Coronado Beach just down the road. And uh, we were there uh, at Christmas time. And I'll run real quick. Uh, my son-in-law, Kyle, my daughter, Abby, and my grandson, Miles. We just spent three days taking care of him. It was awesome. And uh, Abby is pregnant and going to be having our second grandson in three weeks. So uh, anyway, if I get a call in the middle of the message, I'm gone. We're, we're going to be there for it. Um, and uh, they're right now living in Waco, transitioning from the Air Force into the next step that God has for them. These are kingdom people, just incredible, incredible people. Then my son Daniel, he is a sophomore at Abilene Christian University. Great man of God, loves Jesus. That other lady, that is not my other daughter, that is my wife of 31 years. Isn't that awesome? 31 years. The fat gray hair guy, that's me. Then my son Caleb, he lives in Washington, D.C. and is uh, leading a life group up there while uh, working for um, uh, several different political organizations. Uh, and then you have my daughter and son-in-law, Brady and Lauren. They got married 
on uh, Good Friday, March 30th, and they are taking a year to serve and follow up on all of our work in Indonesia, and uh, that is our clan. And um, it's appropriate that I, or, or uh, relevant, that I'm showing you a picture because I want to talk today uh, about family. And I, I was working on a different way to talk about it, different scratching around on messages last night, and I went to bed. I said, Lord, just give me a word, just something that we can lock into and how to do healthy family or how to be the family of God or how to be your family. And I woke up this morning with this clear word, joyful obedience. Joyful obedience produces peaceful family. All right, so let me, let me take you into our family, raising our kids. So we had four kiddos. We grew up in Waco, Texas. We raised them in Waco, Texas. And somebody had given us some tickets this one summer to a, a water park on Galveston Island. Now, it's about a four-hour drive. Uh, at that time, I think Daniel was two. That would have made Abby about 11. So we're in the middle of it with these kiddos. And, and um, so we, we get everything ready to go the night before. We tell them, hey, we're going to get up a little early, and here's how the day's going to run. We're going to have a little devotional in the car, and then, and then everybody's going to read books, or we're going to watch this little video. We just kind of lined it out because, you know, they need life lined out. And so... We, we think, and, and we are in our minds thinking, this is going to be awesome. This is what families do. They go to the beach. They have water park. They just have fun. This is going to be a memory of a lifetime. We're such good parents, and this is going to be great. <laughs> so we get everybody out, get them in the van, and we get going, and all of a sudden, everybody's, there's whining going on and complaining, and then one of the kids hits the other kid, and, and uh, we said, you need to stop that, or we're going to pull over, and then it happens again, and so we pull over. That's 15 minutes into the trip. Pull over, get everybody kind of lined out here, inappropriate, not going on, not going to happen. We're going to get it together. May put everybody has headphones on now, everybody's hands in their own laps. We're, we're working it out. We get about an hour into this four-hour drive, and then I got to go to the bathroom. And my response, and my kids would say this now as adults, Dad would give us one bathroom stop per state on any, uh, Texas is a very large state. And... Uh, but, you know, eventually my wife said, honey, we have to pull over. And I said, okay, we'll pull over on the side of the road. We are pulling on the side of the road. We we'll line everybody up on the side of the road. Everybody goes to the bathroom, put everybody back in because we got to go have fun now, right? <laughs> so we finally make it to the beach. And, and, and on Galveston, you can pull, there's a place you can pull your car onto the beach. And we have this van, you know, and we put out the blankets and we start the deal. And, and, uh, all of a sudden, we look up, and where's Caleb? I mean, he's about six years old, and he is in the water, right? I mean, he did have swimming lessons, but the beach is a little different deal. And so I'm running, you know, before his head goes under, scoop him up, let him know you are by us, thinking about getting one of those leashes for children uh, for him. And then some, then Daniel, the, the, uh, uh, at that time, the two-year-old, he starts crying. I need sand in my eyes. I get sand in my eyes. And so that's going on. And uh, the girls are, are just playing in their little make-believe land, being peaceful. And these two dudes, though, are making it really tough. So, so remember, we had tickets to the water slide, and it's right by the beach. And so we said, okay, hey, we're going to go to the water slide. 
Well, the girls have been in the water slide before, and so they're just kind of taking off, and they're doing fine. And But Caleb is freaked out by the water slide. I mean, this is a pretty adventurous little guy. He's like, yeah, ah, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I go. And we're like, dude, you come on, man. I know you. You're going to love this. No, 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 no. So eventually, Laura and I decide, you know what? We know what's best for him. He loves stuff like this. He just doesn't know it yet. So at that, we pick up the two mats. I have him. He's literally clawing me, screaming. People are about to call the police, thinking that I am abusing this child as he's crawling all over me, just freaking out. We get up to the water side, and the guy's at the top's looking at me like, sir, sir. And I'm like, hey, no, 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 he's going down. And so... We get, on the, we get on the slide, we do the deal, you know, he's ah, clawing all over me while we're going down the slide, etc. And then we go into the water and he goes under and I lift his head up and everything else. And, and he, he grabs me, uh, he hugs my neck and he said, that was great, daddy, let's do it again. <laughs> said, hey, listen, dude, you should have trusted me going up the hill, man. So we, uh, so then that goes on. Then we go back for lunch and we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and we had kind of left everything out and sand had gotten in all the peanut butter and jelly. And so we're back on the complaining route and now the girls are fighting with each other and it's just like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so about five o'clock we say, all right, look, we're going to go to Wendy's. Wendy's will bail us out burgers, frosties, this is going to, we're just going to bail it out. And they, and they have little toys, you know, and the whole deal. And so we kind of made it through Wendy's and everything else. And we get back in the car finally about 6.37 to do the four-hour track back. And, and now we, are, we were done. And the kids somehow, the kids push it, push it, and then they know when you're really done, right? And the, the, the older girl was just old enough to tell the dudes they're really done. Don't, don't cross mom and dad. They're really done. And so back to the headphones, everybody in their own little world. And they fall asleep about 8 o'clock because it was such a full day. And Laura and I are driving, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this was crazy. What is wrong with these kids? I mean, we had such a great plan for them to have a great adventure today. We had such a great plan to be a loving family. We had such a great plan for this thing to work. But all these kids were going crazy, fighting, wrestling, everything we wanted to do. They were disobeying. They made this a mess. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, and as I'm saying those things, and Laura and I are kind of having this conversation, and some of it in my head and some verbally to her, the Holy Spirit just starts speaking and... And what about you? How many great adventures have I wanted to take you on? But you've wrestled, you've fought, you've acted like I didn't have your best in mind. You've missed the joy of the adventure because you've wrestled instead of simply obeyed and enjoyed. Can I tell you that's the story of God? (laughs) He is a good, good father. His desire is to take you on the great adventure of walking with him. And as you joyfully believe that and joyfully obey wherever he would lead, whether you understand it or not, you will find yourself in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So let's go back in time to move forward uh, together. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Anybody who knows me, I always start here. It's a great place to start. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What a rich scripture. I have read that thing a thousand times, maybe more than that. This morning I was meditating on it again, just getting so excited about the adventure that God has called us into. I started off this morning just thinking, I'm made in his image. In his image, he has made me to father and to want to be fathered. In, his, in, the, in the image of Jesus, he has made me want to extend grace and receive grace. Because I'm made in his image, he's, he's made me want to comfort like the Holy Spirit and to receive comfort from the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? You've been made in the image of God. That's why people keep making movies with the same themes over and over again and you keep falling for it. Because you're hoping for love, you're hoping for rescue, you're hoping for a father that loves a child. It's because you're made in the image of God and you're made for God and those are his attributes. And it says we're made in the image of God and he's given us dominion and authority, he's given us purpose and plans and, and a joy to partner with him in this great adventure. And probably my favorite part of this little run of passages, it says that God made them in his image and he blessed them. The intention of God is and always has been to bless you, to show uh, love towards you, to show patience towards you, to, uh, to uh, reveal his purpose and plan to you, to be for you and not against you. What I've told all my kids through the years at each age, you know, uh, Daniel, you're my favorite four-year-old in the whole world. Of all the four-year-olds in the whole world, you're my favorite four-year-old. Each of my kids, wherever they were in life, I would tell them, you're my favorite in the whole world. Because everybody needs to know that somebody's for them no matter what. And as a parent, that's my privilege to do that to my own children. But I would say that God longs for you to hear that day by day. He's created you in his image for good and, and not for evil. And then, obviously, you know the kind of how things go. If you're familiar with the story where God's plan is great, Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God. They are friends with God. They are enjoying God. He is enjoying them. There is no doubt in their mind that his plans are not good for them. And then the enemy comes in Genesis 3.1. And, and, uh, and says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, I review this at least on a weekly basis. Because here's what happens. God created us in his image. He blessed us. He created us for good and not for evil. He can't be anything but good because that's, all he is. And every day we hear that little voice, has God really said? Has God really said how we're to live our lives? Has God really said for how we're to do business? Has God really said how we're to do education? Has God really said how we're to do family? Has God really said how we're to do relationships? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he has already said how to live all of life 
if we would allow him to be himself. God has already said how to live life. So Eve responds rightly the first round, and she says, well, yes, he has said that we're not to eat, uh, that we can have any uh, tree in the garden except for the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And then, but because of the question marks, she began to look and drift uh, uh, apart from God instead of towards God. She said, well, maybe, maybe God isn't right on this one, or maybe he missed it on this one, or maybe he doesn't understand our culture today, or maybe he doesn't understand my, my problem. Maybe he doesn't understand this relationship. I think I'll, I'll do it my way or the world's way instead of God's way. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve, and they took of the forbidden fruit, and all of a sudden, whoom, in a moment, the goodness of God, the love of God, the union with God, the hope of the future that was bright, the partnership of God that was rich, all of a sudden, in a moment, boom, it's gone. And instead of walking with God, they pull away from God. They start doubting and questioning God. They're, they're living in shame. They're living in fear. They're trying to immediately cover themselves with whatever's around because they feel exposed and they need something external to cover them. But before sin happened, they didn't need anything to cover them. They were free. All of a sudden, they were imprisoned by their sin by going their own way. Now, God in his mercy comes and covers them, and if you read the rest of the Old Testament, it's God's pursuit of us in the middle of our sin. God is always pursuing, even though sin has blinded us. He is a God who pursues us. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which you probably are very familiar with, is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now listen, that scripture, by the way, is written in the middle of what's called the Babylonian captivity. So here's what happens. The children of Israel, if they obey God, they're blessed. If they disobey, they're not. So they're obeying God. Things are going fine, but they begin to uh, compromise in many areas, eventually so much so that they are just like the world. They are in bondage to the world, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, it's basically gone, and it's now under the Babylonians. They're in Babylonian captivity. So it looks like the end of the dream. Because of their disobedience, it looks like Israel's off the map and the promises are gone. And in the middle of their rebellion, in the middle of their sin, in the middle of them doing their thing instead of God's thing, in the middle of being oppressed by wicked rulers because of their choices, God shouts out, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that awesome? As we talk about obedience and disobedience, we think, that we think as if that puts us in or out for the long haul. But we have a God that's always reaching in, even in the midst of our rebellion, and saying, I still have a good plan for you. I still have a good plan for you. I'm still coming. I'm still available. I'm still knocking. I'm still pursuing you. Just turn my way. And the promise, the response uh, of that Jeremiah 29 11 is verses 12 and 13. Because the God's plans are good, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Come on, Israel. I know it looks hopeless. I know your own sins got you here. I know you've rebelled in every way possible, but just call on me. 
Just, just come and pray to me. Call out to me. Ask for a deliverer and boom, you will find me as your deliverer. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then in the first part of verse 14 it says, and I will be found by you. God's not hiding. God's not You haven't done the unpardonable sin to keep you from God forever. You're not not out there. You're not different from everybody else. Everybody sins, but we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus that we might come back into the purpose of God by calling out to him. You see, here's the thing. The God of Genesis 1 who blessed, who created, who loved, who gave purpose has never changed. The God who created us has never changed. He's always been good. It's man through our sin who's been blinded. It's our blindness that's keeping us from the goodness of the plans of God. It is not a God who doesn't care. Now let me just pause for a moment because many times people get caught up. If God's so good, why is there evil in the world? In one way, we could spend days trying to get our heads around that, but let me just try to simplify it. I always say God is way better than we think because if the evil in my heart had no check and balance, if what I actually thought about, if the feelings I actually had, if I could do, if I just lived those things out, man, I could destroy a whole city just by myself with the sin in my heart. But because out of God's mercy and grace, He has put an end to death through the blood of Jesus. We can have peace with God even in the midst of chaos. And the chaos is not as crazy as it could be if there wasn't a sovereign God ultimately holding heaven and earth in his hands. All right, so we're tracking along here. If the children of Israel had a good word that there was hope, what about Jesus? So Jesus comes to rescue. He comes to present himself as the answer. And here's what it says in Romans 5, 19. For as though the one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam and Eve, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. So here we go. Jesus living a perfect life, going to the cross, Dying on behalf of your sin and my sin, that act of obedience, excuse me, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of the struggle, him choosing to obey God as a fully man, though he was also fully God, his one act of obedience set us all free, just as the one sin of disobedience put us all in bondage. Okay, everybody, you with me? Now we're doing a lot of theology here. We're going to get practical in just a minute. There was one disobedience that whom made us all be born into sin and not see God rightly. One act of righteousness at the cross allowed all of us to see again, to enter, the, to have access to the throne of grace, to be right back where we started in Genesis 1. To be friends of God again has happened because of the blood of Jesus, and you can come daily to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in your time of need. One act of righteousness created deliverance for all mankind forever for whoever will call on the name of Jesus. So if you're blind today, if you feel like you don't know which way's up, if you're questioning who is God and everything else, can I just say that is a fruit of sin, 
Not just your sin, but the sins of the generations. It's the fruit of the big lie that's going on around the world that makes us man-centered instead of God-centered. But in Jesus, we are set free from the blindness of our hearts, our emotions, and our lives. The prisons we live in, the bars have been bent. We step out into grace and an opportunity to live with him forever. All right, now that's just the introduction. So here we go. So how do we joyfully obey then? What does joyful obedience look like? And why is it so important? It is so important because God wants to set you free through obedience. Not size you up right or wrong. (laughs) When we uh, raised our kids, we had a um, family devotions. And so every morning I worked my schedule around so the morning was our main time together as a family. And we had a little mission statement up on the wall. We had a world map up there. We had a mission statement that we're going to be a family of love, honor, and purpose. We're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbors ourselves. We're going to honor one another, put value on each other. We're going to be people of purpose. We're going to contend for those who've never heard in the nations of the earth. This was kind of the the little table that we set. And it was always crazy, and there was spilt milk and kids crying and everything else. But we would always just... What does the scripture say? How are we thankful? What do we do? And um, we, we just kept it moving forward. And, but a key phrase we said every uh, a day at the table at Family Devotions was this. We would say, kids, how do we obey? And they, in unison, eventually would get it. And they would say, we obey cheerfully, quickly, and completely. All right? Don't know if Mark's passed this on to you yet. Absolutely. But we... That was our deal. That was our family mantra. We obey cheerfully, we obey quickly, and we can obey completely. And then we would respond back, yes, kids, because if we learn to obey God cheerfully, quickly, and completely, then you won't turn out like mom and dad. And all the problems you see in our lives and all of our struggles because we did not learn how to obey Jesus cheerfully, quickly, and completely in our development years, and so we still struggle today. And we don't want that for you. So we're going to help you obey cheerfully, quickly, and completely. Now, now let me just break this down for all y'all who aren't raised in a home like that, which is probably most everybody in the room. All right? Here's the deal. Cheerfully, mom and dad say, hey, Daniel, need to take you out the trash. Woo! I can take the trash out. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? My father gives a request. He only has his good mind. I'm a part of a family. I'm taking the trash. This is my contribution. Boom, that trash is happening. Now, it didn't always start that way, by the way. And when there wasn't a cheerful response, we'd give another opportunity. Hey, we've asked a simple request. We need you to do it with joy, at least, a pl- at least without whining and complaining. Let's get to just even emotion. And we would work on the cheerfulness as much as we would on the action. Because he needed to see that he's a contributor, he's a part of this family, and every time he obeys, it brings joy to him and to us. We abode quickly. Have you ever been like um, uh, in stores where you see a parent threatening the kid, right? Johnny's throwing a tantrum, and aisle four of Walmart, and and and, and she's mom saying, "You did, you need, you, I, you're not going to get candy if you don't do this." And he's like, ah, ah. And so I'm going to leave you, and then she starts walking off. That's the worst, right, where the parent goes around the corner, and eventually the kid jumps up and runs and then hits his mom or whatever. <clears throat> it's the 
what the mom said, I'm going to count to 10, you know, one, two, and then she gets to 9.2, 9.3, 9.4, just begging. And eventually he just picks Johnny up because he's not going to obey anyway. If he wasn't going to obey at one, he's not going to obey at 10. Our, we keep these threats up. We just decided no threats, right? Let's make this easy. If we ask, you respond. If you don't respond, then there is a consequence to not responding. And you know what? It got to be where that was more normal than the threats. And what we as parents said, when we have to threaten, there's something wrong with us. We're not following through. Cheerfully, quickly, and completely. Now, I hope you're translating this to your own life. Completely. Let me say it this way. (laughs) One of the challenges for the Western church is we believe that partial obedience is full obedience because we're being better than somebody else. Can I say that again? We believe that partial obedience is full obedience because we're better than somebody else. Can I just say is, it doesn't matter what God's telling everybody else to do. If God has asked you to do something, you do it fully. Completely. You finish the deal, right? Uh, it would be the classic with a, with a kid, I need you to pick up your room. And you walk in and they kind of, threw a pillow over here, or put a shirt in the closet, and the thing's still junk, and you're like, hey, I asked you to do that completely, and, and we would follow through so that they understood when they were given a task, do it completely. Now listen, I'm talking a lot about family issues here, but let me just say, down to us as the people of God. When God speaks to us through his word, what we already know, right, to obey, when we sense the intuitive voice of God and leadership in something that he's speaking in the now to us, man, may we obey cheerfully, quickly, and completely. When God speaks, my response is, yes, sir, (laughs) with joy, because I know that it's only for my good. And ultimately what I've found out, it's not only for my good, but it's for the good of everybody around me. And if I will simply obey God will make a wake. He will make a way for others. So, let me give you two or three more thoughts here. We obey cheerfully, quickly, and completely. Why do we obey him? Because of who he is. Because of who he is. He is God, and sorry gang, you are not. We are his creation, and he is the creator. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't save ourselves, only Jesus saved us. We have no power or gifts without him giving us power and gifts. Uh, Out of 7.2 billion people on the planet, he knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head or lack thereof. He sees everything. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. He knows and sees all things. And if God is that big, that awesome, that wonderful, and he loves me and he pursues me, then whom I'm with him. Just, Lord, I'm with you because of who you are. And let me tell you one of the craziest things in the world. I'll just be a little blunt and say one of the stupidest things you can do is in your time of pain, need, or confusion to pull away from God? If God's the one who created you, if God's the one who loves you, if God's the one who has saved you for eternity, if God is the one who cares for you, if God is the one who pursues you, and you pull away from the one who has all wisdom and all counsel for all creation, that's dumb. No, I got this. There, there's, I got this. Oh, you do? Right. 
think you use about 10% of your brain, at least most psychologists say. You're just this one little personality on a big old planet. Yeah, you pulling away, you'll show God, yeah, wow, you're really cool. You understand what I'm saying? So I joyfully obey and joyfully run to God instead of away from God, even if I don't understand. Let me just say, say it another way. The way I look at it, I, I get about 80% of my prayers answered. Okay? I know you're thinking, well, golly, I get 90. Well, good. I'm Praise the Lord. But let's say about 80. There's 20% that are in process, but there's a, another maybe 10% that are done. The person died that I prayed for, the loved one. That disappointment, can't get it back. That was a loss and not a gain. There are what I call the mystery buckets in my prayer life. They're the mystery buckets in my life. Things that God didn't take the time to explain to me. There's some things I know, some things I don't know. But the way I've resolved it is this. The 80% I do know, or the 80% of prayers that will be answered, or the 80% that I understand is enough to joyfully live a lifetime of fruitfulness and joy in Jesus. Because everybody has a mystery bucket. And when we see him face to face, that mystery will be revealed. It should make us hate sin all the more. It should make us love God and desire him because he's the only answer for that which we cannot explain. Don't allow the mysteries of God to destroy the fruitfulness of God in you. We joyfully obey because of who he is. We joyfully obey because he keeps us safe. He keeps us safe. Deuteronomy 6.24, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, speaking of the Ten Commandments, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Everybody say good always. Good always. And y'all don't believe that. For our good always. Good all right. Always. And for our survival as it is today. Man, i got to read that again because you didn't get it. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord, that means to respect, to honor God, uh, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Now, as a parent, we were committed to correcting our kids, disciplining, whatever it took, because they needed to learn to obey or they would die. Right? So we had a big tree in our front lawn that, that the kids would climb. But we had a rule, mean parents that we were, this, this incredible rule that you couldn't run in the street. Right? We had a fairly busy street, and cars could come by fast. And if they step into the street not looking, they could die. And so we, as parents, had a rule, do not go in the street. And when, of course, every one of them would look around to see if we were looking and put their foot in the street, what they didn't know is we were looking out the window, waiting for that moment, knowing it was going to happen, so we could then scoop them up and reinforce to them that this should not happen again. Because it's the nature of us to test the limits. But it is not wisdom for us to try them. Because those limits are the things that put us in danger. 
Put us in danger relationally. Put us in danger physically. Put us in danger financially. Put us in danger in finding joy that we so long for in life. When we learn to obey the boundaries of God, it is for our good. I love in 1 John 5, 3, John, the one who, who proclaimed himself as the one whom Jesus loved, said, I have loved his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You're like, what planet are you living on, man? Uh, these, these commandments are burdensome. But they're not for the one who loves God and knows God and believes that he only has their best in mind. And that's what we spent all of our years cultivating with our kids. And we would sit down and we would say, hey, man, you see that car going by? Boom, that could have killed you. That's why. Oh! I mean, we had to say it about 25 times. But they... They would eventually understand, and every time there was a correction, at least especially in their older years, there was an understanding, here's why, here's what, here's how we destroyed our lives, this is why we still struggle, because God's ways are good and man's ways are not. When, uh, when Caleb was about uh, maybe five years old or so, um, we lived at a house that had a chain link fence, you know, the silver chain link fence, and at the top you have those little spiky things, right? And so he was a climber, and we uh, obviously, he wanted to climb that fence. Well, the little spiky things at the top are not real friendly. And so we would say, we said, Caleb, actually, he was about three. So I said, Caleb, do not climb the fence. So I walked over to the fence, showed him the sharp things, let him touch it. Oh, owie, owie, daddy. I let him touch him, looked it over, said, surely, we got this. We're not climbing on the fence. So go inside. Wouldn't it, could have been five minutes. Uh, I hear a scream from the backyard, blood-curling scream. Caleb lying down on the side of the fence. I run over, and I can see blood just gushing off of his face. And I look, and there's a rip, a tear straight down his mouth uh, like this. And, um, you know, and, and of course, I said, I told you so. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. I was picked him up, said, buddy, what in the world? I fell, Daddy. I fell on the fence, you know. And so... Uh, we go, we get the little stitches, do the little deal and everything else. Then afterwards, we had a little talk about this deal, right? I showed mercy in the midst of his sin, just for those who wanted to know. And then we came back and we had a little talk about this. And I said, but this could have ripped your mouth wide open not to be repaired. I said, look, don't climb on that fence. There's a scar there, but it's not permanent. You're going you're gonna to be okay. You can still see a slight scar there on his face. Now listen, there's scars in our lives. Hopefully we learn from those scars. Praise God, they're just a scar. You're still alive. You're still breathing. You're still here. God in his mercy lets you live and not die. I remember from my growing up years when I came to know Jesus, driving back through my city, just weeping, literally just heaving at the gratitude, my gratitude towards God that I didn't die in the midst of my party years and all the craziness. Thank you, God. It just, it's amazing. You're a miraculous God. And so we tried to take lessons like that to convince our kids there was something better. There was a, a better way. So many other things I could share. Let me, let me turn gears. Joyful obedience because of who he is, because it's there for our protection. And joyful obedience is the key that unlocks our life into the great adventure that he has for us.
Years ago, I was in uh, the country, uh, we worked in Russia a lot, and um, 20 years in, um, they, we had a celebration of one of the churches we had planted there, and, um, <clears throat> and so as a part of this presentation, it, it was a city where the church ended up working in the city, uh, uh, did a lot with AIDS patients. They had seen miracles, healing from, healing from AIDS, been on the front page of the paper, so they had favor in the city as well as just favor in what God was doing amongst them. And um, as a part of this celebration, they, they, uh, they came up and, and uh, the mayor of the city gave me a key to the city. It's this big metal key. Wish would have brought it. You can see it's really cool. And, and he said, you came 20 years ago and brought hope to our city. And we want to give you, I want to say you've, you've given, uh, we want to give back to you the keys to our city. You are always welcome here. Isn't that cool? So it was a really cool deal. Well, what they didn't know was at the same time, what was going on was we had friends imprisoned in the Middle East. And I had been on the phone, the SAP phone, et cetera, going back and forth as we were trying to negotiate their release uh, from the Middle East. They were there for preaching the gospel. They lived there for 15 years. It was a very intense situation. So if we weren't doing these meetings in Irkutsk, we were having prayer meetings, uh, a handful of us that were there. And, um, and so we're praying uh, this oh, after a particular meeting, and we're just saying, God, would you come? And they had just given us the key to the city, and I'm there with uh, uh, one of the leaders in our movement named Joe Yoon, a pastor from Scotland. And Joe says, get the key. Grab the key. And he said, now let's turn the key in the Spirit. And we grab that key together, and we turn it, open the prison door. Open the prison door in Jesus' name. Open the prison door. The next morning, we get the call that they've been miraculously released, and they're gone. There are keys to the kingdom that open prison doors. There's keys to the kingdom that open that place that God has for you in life. But it happens when we simply obey. Not just simply, but joyfully obey. Let me end with one last story. Um, when we first started this deal, sat down with a friend, Laura and I did, and uh, we kind of mapped out, what would it look like if we went back to the book of Acts? What would it look like if, if, uh, if we loved Jesus just like they did in the New Testament, and, and we lived out church just like they do in Acts 2, and, and what, if we, what if we did this in and through the local church? What if we believed again for the local church to be all it could be? And we, we wrote this proposal up to the elders of the church we were working in, and our first proposal was that we start a training school like uh, you guys have here, the Antioch Training School, and that was our proposal. If we'll start this school, we'll get people and we'll, we'll get them radical followers of Jesus, fully learning how to pray, learning how to seek God, learn how to share their faith. Man, if we could get a few people to do that, I bet we could change the world, just like they did in the Bible. And so as a part of that journey, as always, we were setting up for this school, and, and Laura and I were working part-time jobs, and one of my part-time jobs, I was mowing lawns, and I was the mowers were breaking down more than they were working, and so it was about breaking even. We had given up all of our savings. We had sold everything we had, moved into the inner city. We were obediently following God, and things were getting worse, <laughs> not better, at least externally. And it's, it's July, we're about to start the school in mid-August, and about a month out, and 
It just seems like everything's falling apart. I have no money. I have no job. I've given up a good job. We, we've sold everything. We live in the inner city. There were gunshots last night. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, all that. And so in that midst of that kind of, I, best I know, God, I'm obeying you. I'm following you. And I'm just calling out to the Lord. I'm driving in my little beat-up Toyota pickup truck down the uh, freeway. And the Spirit of God comes to me like, few times I've ever had in my life. I, uh, all I can say, it was it's like the voice of God filled the little cab of that truck. And he said, if you will simply obey the next thing I'm telling you to do, you'll be in the middle of the greatest revival this, world's have ever, this world has ever seen. And it was so profound and so uh, otherworldly, if you will, Heaven truly visited me that I had to pull over, weeping uncontrollably. I just, I couldn't drive. I was just undone with both the goodness of God, the awesomeness of God, and the simplicity of God. Just, wow, God, you are committed to doing above and beyond all that I could ask or think if I'll just simply obey. And you know what? Here I am 31 years later from that experience, and it's still the same thing. I love you, Jesus. It's all about you. Just what do I do today? Just what do I do today, Lord? That's all I need to know. I just need that little step so that I can take the next step across the brook, across the river, across what I can't see. It's just that next little step out of love and joyful obedience that'll get me to wherever God wants me to go for his glory. And behind me, there should be a wake of people who are following as well because that's what obedience happens, does in and through anyone who says yes to Jesus. Whatever your step of obedience, it matters not just for you, it matters for all of us. We are the family of God. We are the people of God. Just as in a family, if one kid pulls away, the whole family feels the tension. But if everybody pulls in, the whole family feels the life. And so it is. We're not those who pull away. We're those who pull close. To God, to others, to whatever God's saying. And out of that, the beautiful tapestry of God is rolled out through Antioch Fullerton, through this family of God. But never underestimate the power of simple humility and simple obedience. Just as I woke up this morning, I had another message that I really liked. But God said, talk about joyful obedience. So whatever happens, say, I feel good about the start of the day. <laughs> and my hope and my prayer is that it has awakened you again to the simplicity of the gospel, to the simplicity of love, and the simplicity of simply obeying him. Let's stand together.